Hey, Metastential in a bite-sized travel-to-go package. Tom Bennett, Derek Phillips, talking Metastential, the overlap of digital and culture. Let's do it as a podcast. Okay. Hey, Matt Moraski, welcome to Metastential. Thanks. It's good to be here, Tom. So for our listeners, Matt and I used to work together. Yeah, at a company called Explain. They're a business design consultancy in Portland, right here in town. Sounds really fancy, Matt. It does. It's a really fancy place. So when we were there and and ever since, right, you guys are part of a new discipline, design thinking. It's real hot. Yeah, it is. Uh, You know, I, I wouldn't say it's just us. I think it's catching on kind of everywhere these days. What we've seen is that, you know, Explain has been at the forefront because we landed, we got to design thinking through visual thinking, which mm-hmm. was, which is kind of a, kind of a backdoor route. IDEO kind of came in the front door and Explain kind of did it through visual thinking for more of the business community rather than the product based community. Well, and that's the funny thing, like with a lot of terms, especially in our digital age, design thinking has taken on some sort of connotation, right? And in some ways, IDEO branded on it, Yeah, you know? Yeah, but what does it what does it mean to the lay listener out there? Who's that's yeah, that's a hard question. I think a lot of there there are a lot of different definitions of it at this point. Uh, I would the way I look at it as is it's a methodology for approaching problems in a different way, mm-hmm. typically around what people want to say is human centered. So it's more about looking at the needs of your customer or the needs of your user rather than your business needs or your business goals. Mm -hmm. You still end up getting to a product or a solution, but you're often getting to better ones by going through this process, this methodology called design thinking that then gives you a a better product at the end for your your user. Now, specifically, is that user-centered design? Is that what we're talking about? I, I try not to split hairs, uh, A, because it's just not what interests me uh, in terms of like saying, oh, well, this methodology is really big on this and this one has to use, you know, A, A B and C kind of testing or whatever in order to ensure that, it, that it's okay. I look at it more as it's, it can be hybrids of all of these things, that, they're, that there are elements that people take in and say, oh, okay, well, as long as there is a human element, we can call it human-centered design, but there may be a multidisciplinary approach to it or a piece to it that all kind of sums up to say, oh, in this, we're using effectively design thinking. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there are people that have called human-centered design the way to go, and then other people that that don't specifically want a human as the only the only starting point. Yeah, I think wh- there are other ways to start. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Why? What? What? Why do you think people have such a different reaction to it? Well, I think some of it is they they may object to idea or anyone like that, a big gorilla just claiming space. You know, they just want to get in and be like, well, I don't know. And then the other thing is I think you miss certain opportunities. I think if you say human first and then how can technology be designed to, to serve the human need is, is very viable. It's a way to go. But I've also worked with groups that have gone the other direction to great effect, mm-hmm. which is um, technology co-evolves with us and offers us things that we may not have thought of. Therefore, how can we create a new human need or a new human behavior out of this? I would say to some degree, like the advent of the iPad was one of those. Because I don't think any human said, hey, I want a giant iPhone, (laughs) you know, (laughs) right? But but the fact that a lot of us use iPads to great effect is the because technology offered something and then they were the design was proposed to us you know but not to yeah not to go too far with that i mean we i think design thinking is interesting i think visual thinking is something Mm -hmm. um you know the the patron saint of this dave gray who we've talked to many times um you know would say that that designing is thinking 
and just making it visual as a way of sharing the process. Right. You know? um, and for all of us that need to solve problems, uh, it's a great way to go. Yeah. The, you know, I think you said something really interesting around methodology, right? And trying to solve a problem, that that's ultimately where it starts and, and ends is, oh, well, we want to solve a problem. And one of the issues that I think we start to see is that there are a lot of different ways to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the beauty of design thinking or visual thinking or any of these human-centered design, any kind of methodology that you put on something is just providing a different way of looking at a problem, a, an opportunity to find a different way to solve it. Because mm -hmm. when we walk the same path every day, when you do the same thing, you fall into those patterns and you start to fail to see things differently. But when you choose to open a different door or walk down a different alleyway or try a different food, you have a different experience that kind of starts to open up new pathways of thinking and that then becomes the opportunity. Right. And one thing I really actually appreciated very much about learning some of these processes is it takes thinking or innovation out of the role of the purely subjective in the opinion by bringing it out into space. Yeah. Um, the work that you're doing, if you can apply frameworks to it uh, as a tool, it's a, it's a way to regulate the thought process towards a real goal. So instead of, you know, you might have the CMO of an organization saying, I think this and this right. is my opinion. Well, there's a bit of like, mm, okay, but why and how and what are we doing? But if, if that opinion can be brought forth into space against a frame and the frame serves the business, right. that's better. It's a better result. Yeah. And for anybody who's ever, you know, been in the grind of the agency world where it is a very subjective place, it's really refreshing to have some measures where you can say, oh, hey, you know, we're looking at these parameters. We're even creating the principles and the parameters around which we're going to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And this is how we're going to measure it. And let's go do that. Let's go figure out how that's going to work. So, so again, you know, for the, some of the listeners, I, design thinking is a term that's being thrown around a lot. But I think if someone hasn't necessarily been involved in some of the frameworking and some of the other tools, do you have a kind of, kind of a, just a simple example of a, of a framework we could talk through? Let's see. Um, let me spend a moment thinking about that. If, we, if we're thinking about a, a framework or kind of an exercise around design thinking, I mean, I think one of the easiest ones to address is either a customer journey map mm -hmm. or uh, an empathy map. For interest. Right. And both of them revolve around the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a piece immediately that you focused your audience and your group on and you say, all right, let's now take a look at, and I want to go to a customer journey map because I think those are, they're a little bit more complex, but they're way more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really about following the journey of the customer from the moment that they even might have the need or identify or express in some way, oh, I have this problem that I'd like to have solved, all the way up through use, purchase, uh, and disposal even of the product. And we're mm -hmm. expanding what that relationship is and thinking about that. And what you do is you work with this group to say, okay, let's identify what those key touch points are, what those key moments are. And then let's start to identify and address the elements that go into that. Let's look at not just, well, what is this person thinking about in terms of the problem that they're trying to solve, but let's try to dig deeper. Let's try to excavate that like a glacier and really find out what's happening. And there's, there's a famous example around saying, um, you know, is uh, as a person who is going to a hardware store looking for a, uh, a drill, really looking for a drill or are they looking for a hole mm -hmm. in a hole in a wall? And we then try to even 
dig deeper into that and say, well, why do they need the whole? Are they looking to hang a picture mm -hmm. or are they looking to hang a picture of their family, which will bring them deep satisfaction around the sense of family and community and things right, like that. Right. And the further in you dive to each of these, the, the, the deeper in you get, the more insights you get around, oh, hey, we're, we're, we really aren't selling drills or we're not even selling holes, we're selling convenience right. or, or X, Y, and Z. And that then gives you the ability to look at, okay, well, what's the next thing that we might want, might want to address? And you find different stories actually emerging. Well, and you can actually, you can actually see where um, Home Depot has, has done things like that. The whole design of the Home Depot store is about, you know, the homeowner satisfaction. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, they sell drills, but they really are selling kind of do-it-yourself or get it done. You know, it's all in the whole, uh, even their, their, the way, they, their language they choose and everything, too. Yeah. Uh, Derek and I were talking a bit about this yesterday. We, uh, we did a show quick on, um, on uh, uh, audio search, okay? Mm -hmm. So no keyboard, just... Um, just being able to s uh, speak to Alexa and, and, you know, but so the user context in the moment is so important. Mm -hmm. And if you can discern the differences in context, you know, I need a florist could mean I've got a funeral, I've got an anniversary, I've got Valentine's Day, I've got a birthday. You know, you kind of want to figure out what that means so you can add the extra context. So journey mapping, like you're talking about, helps fill out some of those, mm -hmm. some of those places. And, and it's interesting to think about how we try to do that. Earlier, you and I were talking about like, well, you can get in a, uh, you can get in a room together and work with people, but how do you do this remotely? Like, how do you, how do you try to bring people together in a, in an increasingly digital environment and even the customer into that conversation right. so that you can begin to get almost immediate consumer reaction to your ideas mm -hmm. as you're developing them. Right. Right. And so in this, yeah, to bring it to the digital in our world, you know, so much of the, of the design thinking process that we've done, you and I together, even with clients has been at a whiteboard in person, right? Because you want all of that broadband yeah. connectivity, if you will. So you see expressions and, and even writing it or drawing a picture, you know, drawing a picture is, is a thousand words. It really is. It really is. Yeah. You know, the relationship of you could draw one human character, but if you draw a much larger next to it, looking down at it, you suddenly create a relationship of parent child or something else. Right. Mm -hmm. which, which you are very good at, you know, yeah. um, just so you guys know, Matt Muraski is one of the aces at, a, at the whiteboard. This guy can really make it work. You are too kind. Uh, but you know, so, um, what do you think in digital? Is there a way to create this? I would say that five years ago, you'd say no. It, it was just too hard. You know, it was like playing Pong. You know, right. like you, you the, the tools were just too limited and you couldn't get enough out of it. I'm seeing it increasingly getting better. I don't use a lot of those tools just because we've found we're still much more effective in person. But as we're, as I see the world changing as I look at VR uh, and the ability to get in a space, the ability to draw something or even develop it in 3D, where you could be working remotely and everybody. I've got a, I've got a squeaking so, chair. Is that I your think. chair yeah. speaking? All right, that's. Um, I was thought we I'm going to scoot a little further forward so I don't have to lean. And Maybe now I think we were, thought we were torturing a creature. Yeah, anyway, was. yeah. So with VR, I've got an Ewok in my <laughs> bag. Oh my, how topical. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So anyway, looking at those kind of digital pieces of, it, I think the the principle is it's whether or not the technology is there, but the principle is you want to be able to interact with people. You want to be able to hear and see what they're saying and mm -hmm, thinking, mm -hmm. and be able to share those ideas in real time. Right. And, and as soon as we can get to that space, then I think we'll see it happening much more quickly. Right. Well, so 
So as we try to do this, right, as we struggle, there are mm-hmm. some some great tools that are already good, you know, like BoardThing, I've talked True. about many times. BoardThing.com, check it out, guys, because it's actually, it's a stripped down, very simple tool. It's almost the bare minimum you need, yeah. but it's a great way to do, like, it's almost like sharing Post-it notes with somebody remotely because yep. you're completely free to move relationships and do things. But, you know, there's other tools that are happening, right? Um, Ideo themselves has uh, Murally, right? Yep. Or Mural.ly. Yep. Um, it's not cheap. It's kind of expensive because it comes with all of their, quote, frameworks in there. Built into them, right? yeah. So you're kind of buying a lot of business IP in the tool, but it's got some nice uh, collaboration features because teams can get together and move things around and share photos and annotate, stuff like that. I, I, I find that fascinating, the idea of taking the tools and instead of just having, like, effectively what Tom's describing is imagine a whiteboard that had all of the things that you needed to fill in already there. Right. So it is those questions are there, those ways of working through it. It's like a, a, a game or a, a, a pre-made workshop for you to work through, which is really compelling. It's kind of interesting. It, it, it by definition loses some of its uh, interpersonal quality as soon as it goes online. Yeah. But it enables you to work uh, in different ways and explore and, and why not if, if if design thinking it to harken back to the beginning of our conversation is about finding new ways to think about things why not dive into this and see what it means and how how much better an idea you could develop asynchronously versus being in the same room there, right. there could be some real strong advantages to that so i guess the difference that's coming down to me is whether the frameworks themselves as ip or as as a business advantage are worth it because a blank slate is one thing that you can share in, but yeah. then having structures to work against. And, and what we're talking about, guys, is there might be a, uh, a framework for a journey map there. There might be an empathy map, which is kind of a head in the middle, and you kind of think about the pain on one side and the gain on the other for the user, things like that. These are kind of simple, mm-hmm. but the fact that they're there to be filled out might create value, and that's what I'm kind of curious about. Yeah, I, I would think that it does, and it would in a in a simple, straightforward way, right? When you're trying to gather information, folks. So think about it, you know, is, hey, all these people have an opinion and a thought and we want to collect them all in one space or place. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there will be a cool time when AI develops enough to have that kind of facilitator's voice or the question asking, the sense making, Mm -hmm. because that's oftentimes the magic of a session or of a workshop is somebody saying or observing, Hey, uh, from a third party position, Hey, I'm seeing a lot of you are talking about this, or I, or I see you not talking about this piece of it, that there seems to be this blank space. Let's examine that somewhere. Is there a reason why not? And those folks help uncover it. And I haven't seen that yet, but again, you can do these sorts of things asynchronously. You can before a session or, or reach out to a much broader group of people around the globe and say, hey, we want your opinions about all of this stuff. We want to see what you think. Mm-hmm. Then we'll take it into the next stage and we'll start to think about it or quote unquote facilitate it um, later and then, and then send it back a little bit more, again, asynchronously. Well, and so that brings up another topic which we might cover at a separate time, which is the act of facilitation. Because I think in a lot of ways, having a disinterested, meaning someone who's not part of the problem, but uh, a mediator, moderator, facilitator, who is who is can stand separately, uh, but ask questions is, is a really valuable thing. That's something that I thought Explain always did very well, which was to have 
a, a partnership between someone doing design, but someone who also who was acting as facilitator, meaning asking the difficult questions. Yeah, they're not aligned politically with the group, so they can they can do this yeah. and play the advocate. And I think that's something that's definitely worth thinking about. You know, in the frame. Yeah, I I, I would agree a hundred percent. There is a strong sense of accomplishment and um, ability when you bring different people with different skill sets into a room, but also with different goals and different um, different people to whom they're beholden, right? Like, so as a, a neutral facilitator, you, you are, you're there to ask if the emperor has any clothes. You're there to right. force those where most people might not be comfortable with that. And, and how many times as a facilitator have we had to almost start a campfire and let it burn a little bit just to see? Yeah. Like let two people have a fight that has never happened. Yeah. I remember doing that a couple of times and having people get a little edgy. Like, why is this happening? But it's like, it's got to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? You've, you've got to let that unfold. And, and I think our digital tools will allow us to get there eventually. I, I, I have no doubt that, that AI, that VR, all of that is going to create a space that will be eerily representative or imitate real life so and your so your vision for this is something that replicates the inhuman experience in the, the in in person human experience yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. th that would be I, I think if we can do that then we can expand beyond it once we have those tools right okay. but if we can't if we don't have something to shoot for mm -hmm. we we might not get to that place that we that we want to I wouldn't say you have to do it that way but I think that's the right progression that we do it like have have art imitate life and then see where art can go beyond right, life right well so i guess now with uh the year the end of the year upon us what, what do you see coming up this coming year what do i see i see 2017 i see a big big old train coming down the tunnel and i'm not sure if it's a duck wearing a giant spotlight on its head or if it's an actual freight train uh i think a lot of us are uh even internationally, we're kind of looking at the new year as I don't know exactly what mm -hmm. what's going to come down the, the pike. But um, but I feel like a lot of us are ready for it. I feel like a lot of us are. And I'm not talking just politically. I feel like a lot of us are saying like we're doing good work. Things are happening. We've got our values aligned. There's a lot of like communication. There's been a lot of stepping out. People saying, hey, 2016 has been really hard. We lost, you know, we lost Prince and David Bowie and more great people than I, than I would care to think about, but we can carry on and we're going to keep moving and, and keep being positive. And, and I'm excited about it. I mean, hell, I published a book uh, last year, uh, The Art of Opportunity, uh, that is all about actually uh, innovation and some of these frameworks for finding uh, new ways to grow kind of within your company. And that was a great accomplishment. We were really, we were really happy about that. And I'm looking forward to 2017 to kind of see where that see where that goes. Um, and I see a lot of other people doing it as well. So if we wanted to have a look at Art of Opportunity, how would we do that, Matt? You could go to uh, www.theartofopportunity.net or you can go buy it directly on Amazon. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, hey, thanks for first, our first conversation. Yeah, thanks for letting me plug my book. <laughs> Glad to have you here, Matt. There's a lot to talk about. I think coming up, we're going to talk about facilitation. Probably. That sounds like a great idea. I think we should maybe point to some basic frameworks so people kind of see what we're talking about. Yeah, we can uh, we can put some uh, put some resources out there for folks. Coming up, frameworks. Thanks, Tom. All right, time to hit the showers. 
This has been the Metastential Podcast, supported by Connective DX. Don't make us do all the work. Hit us up, podcast at metastential.com. Or on Twitter, at Metastential. I might even reply, because I'm on Twitter all day long. I am not, usually. 